All right, so we're just finishing up Holy Week, right? And, and, and so in the city of Jerusalem, there would have been plenty of activity, plenty of things happening, a lot going on. Um, and then now we get to Sunday and things have settled. The Passover is finished and, and we're in this moment where the reality of everything that's happened is setting in. Okay, um, but as we, as we celebrate Easter, there's a couple things I just want to say to you. One is simply this. It's weird, and I get it, right? Normally on Easter, we wake up, we get dressed up in our, our fancy Easter clothes, we, we hunt for eggs, we get together with family, and then we come to church, and the church pulls out all the stops. We have an egg hunt for the kids. There's donuts, coffee, and juice. We have a photo station to get all your family pictures, uh, and we hear this message of the resurrection, and the reality is that all of those other things they're meant to adorn the resurrection, right? But sometimes, sometimes they, they take precedence. Sometimes they become more important. And so what I want to say to you is that maybe this Easter, maybe weird is good. Maybe it's good that we're stripping away everything else and just talking about the resurrection. Because I want to tell you this, the resurrection matters. It is God's answer to the suffering of this life, it's God's answer to the pain that we go through, and it's God's answer ultimately to the death that we're all going to have to face. Did you read? Let me read for you here in, in John 14. Jesus says this. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I'm going. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas says, oh, we don't know the way to where you're going. And Jesus says, yes, you do. Because I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And nobody comes to the Father unless they go through me. Here's what I want you to know. There is suffering in this life. There is pain in this life. And there is death ultimately in this life. But God has an answer for all of that. And as we track Jesus through Holy Week right? And especially as we get close to his crucifixion and resurrection, we see this scene in the garden where he faces intense suffering. We see these moments on the cross where he faces excruciating, ridiculous pain. And then we see the moment where his death is a reality, but he overcomes it. And we're going to see that God has an answer for those things. And the answer is absolutely Jesus Christ. And so we're going to have fun walking through that. I'm just glad you're here with us this morning. So as we, as we gather here, uh, I, I want us to think about uh, that night that Jesus was betrayed. He, he went to the garden uh, with his disciples, and uh, I think it, it's here where we're going to see that, that God has a specific answer uh, for suffering in the world. Why don't, you, why don't you let me read for you here uh, in, in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. It says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, you know, the thing about this is that we aren't the only ones that have suffered um, in this life. God knows what suffering is. And Jesus 
on the night he was to be betrayed, before he was to be crucified, was, was suffering and had grief to the point of death. You know, we know what it's like to suffer a little bit. Uh, we, we know what it looks like um, when things in our life don't go the way that we want them. We know what it's like when, when people are sick and when people die and when tragedy happens. But Jesus, on the night he was going to be betrayed, he gathered together with, with all of his disciples, right? And, and, and he said to them, you guys wait here and I'm going to go on and I'm going to pray because my soul is, is heavy and weighted down. And, and I think the grief that he was feeling was the weight of all of the suffering that you and I have ever had to endure. All people, all time, have suffered. And Jesus is about to take that all onto himself. And so he tells his disciples, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, you stay here, you keep watch with me, you pray. And he goes on by himself. Uh, and here's what happens in, in verse 35, picking it up. He says, he went on a little further and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And, and so, so we, we get to this point here and we see that Jesus, he is is suffering to the fullest extent. And, and he says to his Father in heaven, look, God, Father, anything is possible for you. And because anything is possible for you, I don't want to do this. This is not something that I'm looking forward to. I want it to be done. And I can imagine that, that as he's sitting there and he's praying in the garden, Father, take this cup away from me. I don't want to suffer in this way. That Satan is pushing in and tempting, to, tempting him to abandon everything, the whole reason for his being. I can imagine that Jesus in this moment as he's praying, because he is intensely suffering, uh, the, the weight that's on him is crushing. Some accounts tell us that he's even sweating droplets of blood. I can imagine that he's thinking back to the beginning of his ministry when, when he spent 40 days fasting and praying in the wilderness. And at the end of that, that, that Satan came to him and, and tempted him to give up all suffering and just to accept a shortcut. Satan took him to the top of a temple and said, look, if you jump off this temple, God won't make you suffer. He'll send legions of angels to protect you. And, and later he said, look, if you just bow down to me, I'll make you king of this world without suffering. If you just bow down to me. And I, I think that Jesus in this moment where he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, just take this away from me. He, he's, he's thinking about those things, but yet he has this, this steel reserve, this, this intensity where he says, yeah, but God, it, it's not my will, but your will. I want what you want. He says, in my humanness, Father, I don't want this. I don't want this suffering, but God, if it's what you desire, if it's your will for me, then I'll take it. And then, he, and then he goes back and his disciples, and we don't know why he went back to the disciples, uh, maybe, maybe just to check in on them. Maybe he goes back because he just desperately needs their love and encouragement and support. Because remember, he is, his soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. But he goes back and, and, and he finds his disciples asleep. We pick up in 37. He returned and found the disciples asleep. 
He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayers before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't even know what to say. And this is, this is the issue, right? Their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. And Jesus knows this, and, 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 he, and he catches them asleep, and, and he encourages them, look, keep watch. Can't you keep watch? Right? You have to be on guard. And then he goes to pray again, and, and he prays the same prayer, Father, take this cup away from me. And he comes back, and they're sleeping yet again. In fact, they're sleeping again, and, and the Word tells us that they didn't even know what to say to him in response. I'm remembering when I was in first grade, I took a bottle of clear Elmer's glue out of my neighbor's desk in my first grade classroom, and, and I took it, and, and I started to put glue on all of the different desk seats in the room. I just wanted to know what would happen. In my mind, I think I pictured everybody being glued to their desk and not being able to get up and go uh, when it was recess or lunchtime. But, but I put glue on everybody's chair. The problem is I forgot to put glue on my own. And so it was easily um, found out that it was me. But I remember having a conversation with my first grade teacher, later with the principal, and then later with my parents, and all of them asking the same question. What were you thinking? Why did you do this? And, and me having zero response. There was nothing I could say. There was no good answer. And that's where Peter and, and James and John find themselves. He says, are you still sleeping? You couldn't keep watch for just one hour. And this has got to especially be frustrating and disheartening and, and, and just awful for Peter. Because just right before this encounter, Jesus had said, hey, disciples, friends, best friends of mine, you're going to abandon me. You're going to flee. You're going to forget you know me. And then here's what happens. Peter says, no, 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 no. Everybody else might run away from you, God. Everybody else will run away, Jesus, but not me. In fact, I'm with you and I love you and I will die for you before I would run away from you. And of course, Jesus says, no, of course, Peter, that's not true. You're actually going to disown me. And Peter is shook and he says, no, but, but then we get to this point and, and Peter won't even stay awake because the flesh is willing. I'm sorry, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so this is the problem that we have. All of us, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak, right? We know we want to do better. We know we want to stand up in the face of suffering. We know we want to have attitudes that are better. We know right? We, we, we gird ourselves and we get ready and, and we go to stand firm because our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And we get stuck in the same cycles over and over again. And, and the suffering gets to be too much and we push away, but not Jesus. He comes back the, the third time. He returns to them a third time and he said, go ahead and sleep have your rest. But nope, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. 
And so we see that Jesus does to handle suffering what the disciples couldn't do, what you and I can't do. Because where our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak, but not Jesus. His spirit is willing and his body, his flesh is strong. And so I just want to say this to you um, as we celebrate Easter this morning and we start by looking at the night of his betrayal and, and the suffering and the grief that Christ endured. Listen, God absolutely has an answer for suffering in this world. And the answer is Jesus. You got, you got things that you, um, that you wonder about and you wonder why God lets suffering happen. I tell you what, God has an answer for you. And the answer is Jesus Christ. So here we are uh, in the middle of a cemetery, um, and, and shortly after his arrest, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus found himself uh, facing execution. Uh, and, and so this is a place we normally think of. We associate death um, with, with the cemetery, and, and so I, I think it's appropriate for us to just kind of linger here a little bit as we talk about the, the pain that Jesus went through. But the good news for us is this, even though we've all experienced pain before, just like God has an answer for suffering in the world, and the answer is Jesus Christ, God also has an answer for pain. And go figure, uh, the answer is Jesus Christ. Uh, we pick up in, in the biblical story in, in Mark 15, starting in verse 16. It says, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and they put his clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to a cross. They divided his clothes, and they threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself. Come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And so we see we get to this moment, this point where um, all of the suffering that Jesus endured culminated in this pain. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, beaten, mocked, tortured for us. See, I'll just tell you now, God, God has an answer, not just for suffering, but for the pain of this life. And the answer is Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus endured, he did so because that was God's answer. Jesus suffered and he experienced the pain of torture and agony and death on the cross so that God could once and for all deal with the pain and suffering of this life that we live. And it was bad, right? I mean, they stripped him naked. Uh, they twisted together a thorn of crowns and, and they pressed it into the flesh of his head. Uh, Matthew's account tells us that they took a, a flog, uh, a whip that was tipped with lead, and they beat him with it, ripping the flesh from his body. They spit on him. They mocked him. They pretended to worship him. Mocking the fact, pouring salt in the wound, mocking the fact that they didn't believe that he was from God. That he, they didn't believe that he was the son of God, that he was God in flesh, that he had the power uh, to defeat death and save people from sins. And they, and they, they took him to the cross and, and they drug it to a place called Golgotha outside of the city and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet to the cross and they hung up a sign that said, Hail, the King of the Jews. And they mocked him. Right? Hey, he said he could destroy the temple and, and raise it again in three days. So, so why can't you just get yourself down off the cross? And, and the religious leaders that, that hated him, they, they yelled things like, Look, you said you could save everybody else. Why can't you save yourself? Even, even the prisoners... Uh, that were dying with him, that were condemned to die with him, that were in the same situation that he was. Even they scoffed and, and mocked him as he hung there. But all the while, Jesus just sat there silently, hanging on the cross, experiencing all of the pain that God was giving. And it wasn't just physical pain, but it was emotional pain too. Look, we keep reading. At noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And you see, this, this, is, this is so big that I, I want us to understand what's happening here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, is crying out to the Father, God, God, why have you abandoned me here? And he's not asking why because he doesn't know. He knew full well in the garden what he was getting himself into. That's why in the garden he said, God, I don't want to do this. Father, if there's another way, take it away from me, but I'll do what you want. And God says, this is the plan. And, and now, hanging on the cross in the fullness of pain, it's, it, it's, he, he's crying out six hours later, still hanging there, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and I want you to realize what's happening here, that, that Jesus has been for all of eternity, in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The three of them have been in perfect harmony and perfect unity for all of eternity. And then now, in this moment, he is completely abandoned. He is alone and on his own. 
I can't imagine what the physical torture that Jesus endured was like, but I'd be willing to bet that the agony that he's feeling, the grief that crushed his soul in the garden was this moment, feeling his heavenly father turn his back and completely abandoning him. And, and you know what's interesting about this is the same word, the same word that Jesus says when he says, why have you forsaken me? It's the same word that we read elsewhere in scripture of a promise that God gives us as followers of Jesus. He tells us, listen, Christian, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We have this promise because of Jesus enduring this on the cross, because of him taking all of this pain onto himself, because of him experiencing this separation and rejection from God. God promises us that because Jesus went through that, you will never have to. Christian, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much pain there is, no matter how it all starts to mount up. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he can promise that because Jesus went through it. God has an answer for pain and suffering, and the answer is Jesus Christ. You know, I think about my kids. I think about what happens when my kids are sick, especially when they were younger. But when my kids are sick or, or when I've been in the hospital before or when other people are experiencing um, distress, what do we want? We don't want to be alone right? We want people to come and visit us. We want, we want people to come and see us. We want, um, we, we want them to comfort us and, and to help give us a little bit of peace. But Jesus, in this moment of intense pain, physical pain, even worse, emotional pain, he is completely abandoned. They've hurt him. They've mocked him. And he is all alone. And it continues here. When he called out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up, on, uh, up to him on a reed stick so he could drink it. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and he breathed his last and the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so what we see here is, is that uh, in his distress, right, um, Jesus is, is alone and he cries out one final time. And the other biblical accounts tell us that we know what he cries out. He cries out, it is finished. And into your spirit um, or into your hands, I, I commit my spirit. And so Jesus, when all is said and done and the fullness of suffering and the fullness of pain has been felt, he gives up his spirit. And, and he trusts that God will take care of him. And when he does, um, the biblical accounts tell us that there is a great earthquake, that, that rocks break, and, and the curtain of the temple, the curtain that was meant to separate people from the most holy place of God, that that curtain is ripped in half, symbolizing that we will never be forsaken or separated from God when we're in Jesus Christ. And in all of that, people start to recognize who he is. Here's what the Roman soldier says. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. And then they took him, they wrapped him, and they took him to the tomb because for all they knew, that was the end of Jesus. But we know better.
And so after the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus, we find ourselves, uh, and the story moves to, to the tomb. Um, and so as Jesus was put in the tomb, a, a stone was rolled in front of it, um, and, and that was supposed to be the end of the story. Uh, according to the Pharisees and, and, and the teachers and, and the rulers of religious law and the Romans, this was supposed to be the end. The uprising and the revolution that Jesus had brought was supposed to be over. Uh, but we know that uh, God definitely has an answer for the death that we experience in this world. And so we pick up the story in Mark 16. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out to purchase burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And so, so this is the reality, right? They, they had witnessed the crucifixion of their friend, their Lord, their Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything that they had, they had believed to be true about him, that he was the one that would make all things right, that he was the one that would make everything okay. Everything they believed was, was now in question because they had seen him die. They had seen him wrapped in burial cloth and, and he was put in the tomb and the stone was rolled in front of it. Like, like you can imagine how they felt. This, this was the only man that had ever given them any hope. Their lives were, were devoid of hope. But then Jesus came along. And where everyone else treated them as outcasts, Jesus treated them as friends. Where everyone else pointed accusing fingers and called them sinners, Jesus loved them. Where everyone else pushed them away, Jesus gathered them close. And then now he's in a tomb and they lack hope. But they show up on that Sunday morning meaning to anoint his body, to give him honor in death, the honor that they believe he deserves in death. And here's what they find. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And so there's this great moment where they're going to pay him respect and honor and, and, and to prepare his body, right? To, to, to prepare it for nothing, to prepare it, to anoint it for, for death. And instead, what they find is the one that they thought was dead is risen. This is the real message of Easter. This is why Easter is so important. This is why we celebrate. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to know what the, the answer is that God has for death in our world? And it's Jesus. I want you to think about this. They went preparing to anoint a dead body. And instead, when they arrived at the tomb, what they found was glorious news that Jesus, who was crucified, was no longer dead, 
but was risen. Those words should resonate in your soul. Those words should cause your heart to sing. If you are a Christian and you're hearing that, that we're telling the story of the resurrection, that, that when they arrived at the tomb, that it was empty and that they found that, that Jesus who was crucified isn't dead, but he is risen, then that should cause you to sing hallelujah. But listen to me, if you're here this morning and, and you're listening to this and you do not know Jesus Christ personally, those words should pierce your heart. They should cause you to stop and think. What does it mean that Jesus Christ, who was dead, is no longer dead? What does it mean for you that he who was crucified is risen? I'm going to tell you what it means for you. It means that this is real. It means that this is true. Right? And we know that the resurrection is fact. We know that it happened. We read elsewhere where, where the, the apostles, the disciples are, are saying to people, look, you don't have to take our word for it. Go talk to anybody that saw Jesus after his death. Go talk to any of them. There's 500 of them, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that you can talk to any of those people that witnessed Jesus alive. We know that he was alive. What does it mean for us? That he is no longer dead, but that he has risen. It means that this is true. And it means that this can be trusted. I tell you what, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, then I want to encourage you to know him personally. Because he is not dead. He is risen. And that means something for you. We live in a world that is full of suffering. It is full of pain. And ultimately, for every single one of us, it will include death death of people we love, and ultimately our own. But here's what I want you to know. Because of the fact that the tomb is empty, because of the fact that Jesus is no longer there, but he is risen, here's what I know. I know that even though you and I will taste death, that it won't remain that when we are in Christ, we will have freedom from death. God has an answer to suffering and pain and death, and it's Jesus Christ. And he is calling you to himself. That's what those words in John 3.16 really mean. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that anyone who believes in him won't perish, but will ultimately have everlasting life. What that means is that when we believe that Jesus is real, when we understand the depth of his suffering that he underwent on our behalf, when we understand the amount of pain that he took onto himself for us, when we understand that his death was to pay the penalty for our wrong, but that he is no longer dead, but that he burst forth from the grave, when we believe in him, the word tells us that we will not perish, but that we will have everlasting life. And I want to encourage you and invite you right now Right? If you are a Christian, then revel in that truth that you are made new in Christ. And if you are not a Christian, then I want to invite you to consider the invitation that God so loved the world, he loved it so much, that he chose to take on flesh and die on a cross to face the fullness of suffering, to face the fullness of pain, and to drink the cup of death so that you and I, when we believe in him, 
and we turn our lives over to him, we can have eternal life. That's an invitation that's good for you this morning. I don't know where you are in your life, and I'm not sure what concerns you have. I'm not sure what weighs down on you, but I know this. I know that Jesus is calling. God has an answer for suffering, pain, and death, and the answer is Jesus. And I want to tell you this too, because I'm convinced that some of you are going to be watching this that are confused about what that means. And so if I could just be bold with you for a second, I want to tell you this, that believing in Jesus is more than just knowing that he's real. It's more than just knowing that he suffered, and it's more than just believing that the tomb is empty. Believing in Jesus is not just knowing that God's there and, and, and knowing that I can be a good person. Believing in Jesus is this. It's knowing that he's holy. Knowing that he died to take the punishment for your sins, and in response, you turning your life over to him and living for him. I tell you what, if you're ready to make that decision this morning, I want to invite you. There's no time like the present. There's no celebration like now as a moment to say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And, and if you're ready to do that today, I tell you what, there's just, there's an email address on the bottom of, of your screen right now. Um, I, I just want you to, to go ahead and, and text, or I'm sorry, email that and, and just let us know, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And we've got people standing by, they're ready to respond to you and to talk to you about what that means and to walk you through that and get you started with first steps. But I tell you what, Jesus is calling. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're weary, you're heavy laden. There is suffering, there is pain, and ultimately there will be death in this life. But Jesus says, come to me, I'm the answer. I will give you rest. I want you to know that, that I love you and that I and the staff and the elders of Blessed Hope Community Church are praying for you and uh, that, that we just, we are praying good things um, and we want to encourage you in Christ and we just want to wish you a happy Easter. I pray that you have a great, blessed Resurrection Sunday. Thank you.